Infirmary Media. In decades, the Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Who coach your popping pins, dropping hand grenades? Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet in sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Broadcasting from the Bio Bidet Studios, where water does it better. Greetings and welcome back to another, like, totally bitchin' episode of Dueling Decades, the adult audio retro game show where the 80s and 90s slug it out because it's your history, we just fight for it. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for as we bring to you The Week Experience, May 1987 versus May 1993. Dueling out of the 90s corner, still looking for his first dueling decades victory with a record of 0-2, it is Bo Beecraft. Oh, that's right, I've already got the uh, white flag right on the flagpole, getting ready to raise that before the end of the episode, but yes, May 1993, the first week of May 1993, a lot of uh, things happened, <laughs> I guess I wouldn't call them great by any means, but by God, we're going to give it a run for its money here. And tonight, he will be going against... Me, Mark James, I will be here tonight laying the smack down on Bo Beecraft with the first week of May, 1987. Ooh, oh, this is going to be good. Very granular. Granular? Just like my face wash. Granular. Right down to the week. I like it. And as always here on Dueling Decades, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So let me introduce to you tonight, the judge, who is also the undefeated Dueling Decades champion of the world, Nick, Nick Mancrush. I kind of feel like, um, you remember when like Stone Cold would be the referee in a, like some match and he was the champ? That's what I feel like right now. So you guys are some in for some shit. I'm going to start it out with this for you guys. Instead of a coin flip, rip Peter Mayhew. I got my little uh, Chewbacca oh, doll here. Topical. All right. I thought you got a new dog. <laughs> <laughs> to decide who goes first, I want to see who has the best Chewbacca impression. I'm already out, so it looks like, Mark, you start. <laughs> I've never done a Chewbacca Come impression. on. You can't do this. <laughs> I can't do a Chewbacca. I've never done right. one. Mark sounds so, like he's dying. Come on, Bo. Yeah. You're the man of a thousand right. voices. Let's hear it. <sighs> <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my God. You guys, wow. you guys are not I making this easy for me. All right. Pick, pick a number between one and ten. Mark, go. Seven. Bo. Four. Oh, that's it. Right on the money. All right. Bo goes first. Mm-hmm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, TV, music, news, and for the week experience, hot products will be replaced with sports. Oh, shit. My favorite Huey Lewis album. <laughs> A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. The winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score 
after all five rounds. Okay, duelers, let's make like a tree and play some Dueling Decades. Uh All right, let's do this. All right. I think I'm going to start with movies. I feel like I got an okay shot here with movies from the first week of May 1993. Pick number one is going to be Dave, released May 7th, 1993, an American political comedy starring Kevin Kline, Sigourney Weaver, also featuring Ving Rhames, Charles Grodin from uh, the Beethoven series, which we all know and love so dearly, uh, and Ben Kingsley. Uh, The film goes to show you there's good money and perks to being an impersonator, debuting at uh, number two at the box office, jumping to number one in its second week, making over $63 million from a $28 million budget. This begs the question, who, uh, is there anybody out there that looks like our current president that could impersonate the current president? There's got to be somebody. You think Robert Redford could pull that off? No, not now. Uh, not you don't now. think so? You didn't see him in The Winter Soldier? He's like he's like 80. Well, so's the president. <laughs> hey, true, Baldwin true. doesn't do a half bad job. So <laughs> uh, That's true. That's true. I did not know that Dave made that much money. I didn't know that that many people saw Dave. That's I didn't either, but evidently it was a big blockbuster. Yeah, that, yeah. that's big money for a comedy. Number right, two at debut and then uh, jumping to number one in week number two. 63 Damn. million. I know you got one better. You I do. Okay. I do. Uh, released actually the same day. And the, the reason it was number two at the box office its first weekend, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Mm, of course, yeah. the uh, film tribute to legendary martial artist and actor Bruce Lee starring Jason Scott Lee, which ironically had no relation. Lauren Holly in there. Robert Wagner as well. Uh, dedicated to Lee's son, Brandon, who died five weeks earlier while performing in his final film, The Crow. Film, obviously, like I said, debuted at number one, earning a box office total of $63.5 million. This is where it's interesting, like more interesting than Dave. $63.5 million box office haul, $14 million budget. So it, uh, it, it ran laughing all the way to the bank compared to Dave. Wow, I had no clue that that movie made that much money. I didn't I hadn't even heard about it until it came out on home video. Wow, I remember that movie. Yeah. That's the thing, it seemed like they played it on like AMC and... Yeah. Or ACM or whatever you want to call it in uh, like TBS back in the day. That was the only reason I knew that film existed. No, I I remember that one going to the movies. I was a big uh, Brandon Lee fan at the time. Interesting story real quick. When uh, the day I rented, uh, what was the name of his movie before he died? His big movie there. I'm having a pre- Oh, Rapid Fire. Oh. No, no, I was watching Rapid Fire. I rented Rapid Fire. It ended. And I turned on the news as the thing was rewinding, and the news story of him getting killed was that day. Holy right crap. after I finished watching it. Holy shit, that's where this all started, man. <laughs> Every <laughs> time we talk about somebody on this show, well, something happens. Luckily, he's a, <laughs> I can't do anything worse to him. He's already dead. No, but that's where the curse started, man. It all started when I rented Rapid Fire. <laughs> and then Powers Booth died like 30 years later. No, nah, it wasn't even 30 years. He died like last year or something, right? Two years ago? Yeah, right after I finished watching Red Dawn. Oh, <laughs> fuck. All right, let's just stop. All right. All right, so I got yours. You got Dave and the Bruce Lee story. Dragon, mm-hmm. the Bruce Lee Dragon. story. Okay. Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Got the it. autobiography of my penis. It's a very long title. Dragon. <laughs> At least the title's long. <laughs> That makes one of us. Oh, I get it. All right, gentlemen, for my offerings, we got a pair of sequels that were both released 
May 1st, 1987. The first being on a remote Caribbean island where Army Ranger Joe Armstrong investigates the disappearance of several Marines, which leads him to The Lion, a super criminal who has kidnapped a local scientist and mass-produced an army of mutant ninja warriors in American Ninja 2, The Confrontation. All right. Even though the original American Ninja had a huge budget and was a huge success for canon, Golden and Globus slashed the budget to the sequel to just $350,000. Hold on. And the- What's a huge budget in canon? A million? <laughs> wow. Come on. Compared to 350000 <laughs> Yeah, I guess they tripled it. The film grossed $4 million at the box office. But it found its true calling on the home video market as dipshit kids like us would all rent it over and over because we loved any film that has a kill count of 87. Yeah. It was more and deadly than the first one. It was but way more deadly. It wasn't so. as good as the first one, I don't think. In my heart, at least. In my second entry, not only uh, reunited the gruesome twosome of George Romero and Tom Savini, but it also saw them once again teaming up with the master of horror, the pride of Lisbon, Maine, Mr. Stephen King. Of course, mm. I'm talking about Creep Show 2. The film is made up of three short films uh, and an animated tale that's told in between the segments. The first story being Old Chief Woodenhead, and then we move on to the fan favorite The Raft, and the third tale being a classic Twilight Zone storytelling with a little gruesome twist at the end there called The Hitchhiker. Uh, the film grossed $14 million at the box office in 1987 off of a $3.5 million budget, but much like American Ninja 2, the film did not reach its full potential until it hit the VHS rental market. May 1st, 1987, we got a pair of sequels, American Ninja 2 and Creepshow 2. Okay. I'm not going to make this one take forever. I'm def- I'm going to go with 87. It's mm. it's a slam dunk for me. Creepshow mm. 2, like Mark said, it was one of those movies that got bigger as it time went on. Matter of fact, just like 2 years ago they re-released it with, you know, special uh special edition. I don't remember who did it. I have it upstairs. I can't remember who the hell re-released it, but all the stories on that thing are great. Even the Hitchhiker one is my least favorite, but the uh, the Indian one is great. The Raft is amazing. Just when you think the guy gets away, he's like, I beat you! Yeah. And the big black tar wave No, don't gets. spoil it for everybody! All right, it came out freaking 32 years ago. I think we're okay. Yeah, it's available for streaming. I think it's up on Prime right now. Go check it out if you uh, haven't seen it. Definitely worth, uh, worth a watch. As far as Dave goes, it's probably my least favorite of the four that we got in here. Anything with politics, just I actually forgot all about Dave until you brought it up. I do like the dragon, uh, the Bruce Lee story. It's a little slow, but it's if you're a fan of martial arts, you like that movie. But just the two movies that you have together there in 87, I just can't uh, imagine actually if it's closer than you would think because it's american ninja 2 all kind of movies are schlocky but it that series after the first one started to get really schlocky Uh, american ninja 2 was the beginning of the downfall oh yeah canon and then once uh what's his face um fuck i can't even think of anything today what's his name uh dudikoff dudikoff once uh dudikoff left it was just ass crap 
But you didn't say that one, so I will knock you on it. So I'm going to have to go with 87 for this one. But I will say it is much harder to pick these being so granular as just being in that week time frame. And you guys aren't picking the best of the best of the month and just mm-hmm. for the week. So it is I, – I can only imagine where the, the rest of these picks are going to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to pick the uh, the best of what's available. Yeah. All right, so – we're still in the one point rounds. Uh, why don't we head over to music? All right. For my first entry, I have The Cure. Mm. In 1987, The Cure released the musically eclectic double LP, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. It reached number six in the UK, top 10 in several other countries, and it was the band's first entry in the US top 40 at number 35 where it was certified as platinum, reflecting the band's rising mainstream popularity. Uh, the band's third single, Just Like Heaven, was the band's most successful single to date, being their first single to hit the Billboard Top 40. The album produced three other singles as well. My second entry, we're also going to stay with UK bands and everybody's favorite band out of Glasgow, Scotland, Deacon Blue. Uh, you guys, you guys, big Deacon Blue fans. I now? haven't had my Deacon Blue in a long time. <laughs> I like caffeine. Well, they, the Scottish <laughs> pop rock band Deacon Blue also released their debut album May first, nineteen eighty five, entitled Rain Town. Uh, little side note: Deacon Blue got their name from the nineteen seventy eight Steely Dan song Deacon Blues. Uh, Rain Town was their first album. Um, they went on to some sort of success, I'm assuming. I've never heard of Deacon Blue, but there was like no good albums released the first week <laughs> no of May. Shit. If we would have went two more weeks out, man, we would have had Molly Crew Girls, 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 Grateful Dead in the Dark. But we and, don't. Like, 15 up, but we don't. So you got to take what you get. And you get motherfucking Deacon Blue and The Cure. Deacon so. Blue. Hey, The Cure is a good pick, though. Yeah. Can you actually, man, before strong. I let Bo go... Uh, just give me the chorus to Just Like Heaven. I don't know it. I've never heard it. I've never listened to a Cure song. Really? No, I'm a man. Bo, for extra points, do the chorus. Uh, I can't, re- I can't like remember heaven. it. Friday, I'm in love. That's the one everybody oh. knows. Oh, that's the Cure? Well, yeah, yeah, them, lo- heard- you know, love song. Yeah. Tesla. No. 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 The one that 311 covered years later. Oh, okay. Yeah. Surprised <laughs> you don't know that. Okay. All right. It's a Grateful Dead song. No, it's not. <laughs> no, I know the song. I've heard it. I'm just not overly familiar with it. I've heard it in movies and You know, uh the the Cure's uh, Life in a Northern Town. Don't know that. All right. What do you have for 1993? <laughs> if well, you cut your shit. If you come out with the Cure show, I will lose my mind. Uh, music, the first week of May, 1993. I'll start with May 4th, 1993. The release of Down With The King, the sixth studio album from the legendary hip-hop group Run DMC. Uh, though it wasn't really notable, didn't produce a lot of massive hits or anything, it did peak at number one on the U.S. Billboard Top R&B and Hip-Hop Albums chart. The title track would reach number one on the U.S. Rap chart, and it got pretty... Favorable critic reviews, uh, but many would argue it's it's kind of a forgettable entry in the whole Run DMC catalog. I'd agree with that. <laughs> well, wait, there's more. Oh, uh, okay. So, I, like right now, that's better than Deacon Jones. 
Deacon Blue. Blue. De- or whoever. <laughs> it's better than both. All right. Well, this one's going to knock Mark's both out of the water. May 4th, 1993, the same date. Live or Selena Live from American Tejano pop singer Selena. Recorded during a free concert at the Memorial Coliseum in Corpus Christi, Texas in February of 93. Uh, this led to her winning a Grammy for the Best Mexican-American Album at the 36th Annual Grammy Awards, making her the first Tejano musician to achieve that accolade. Uh, the record also earned her the comparison of being the Mexican equivalent to Madonna, which is pretty high praise for that time, I would think. Uh, three singles from the album all simultaneously in the top five positions on the Hot Latin Tracks chart. It's hard to get like one single into the top five let alone five simultaneously that's pretty impressive no matter what chart it's on i would think so uh uh, down with the king by run dmc and live from selena wow great good pick selena was huge man she had some pretty crazy fans oh Oh, boy come on (laughs) still too soon all these years later god you can't mess with selena's uh I'm gonna have to go with 1993 on this. Let's uh, let's yeah. not beat around the bush too much here. If Mark would have sung the chorus to "Just Like Heaven," I might have given him a little bit extra push. But like coming out with Deacon Blue, but I, I guess this is the most honest this game ever is because it's really black and white. There's really no gray here. You guys are killing it and killing the other team for whatever round. <laughs> so. Let's just uh, let's move on from music because that's a pretty sad musical month for or musical yeah, it's week. Not, it's not going to get much better here, gentlemen. <laughs> let's uh, let's forget Deacon Blue because this whole round blew. <laughs> <laughs> Who did he blew? She needed the money, or he did. <laughs> All right, Bo Beecraft, you have control of the board. Heading into the third round, where are we going, man? I'm going to go to news, Mark James. I got a couple of what I consider to be pretty relevant stories, uh, pretty strong stories, too. Bear with me, because these are kind of lengthy. May 5th, 1993, uh, occurs the murders of three boys in West Memphis, Arkansas, which would later lead to the arrest and conviction of three men who will go on to become known as the West Memphis Three. Uh, Damian Eccles... Of the three men sentenced to death, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. was sentenced to life imprisonment plus two 20-year sentences, however that works, Uh, and Jason Baldwin was sentenced to life imprisonment as well. During the trial, prosecutors asserted that the children were killed as part of a satanic ritual. Multiple documentaries have uh, covered the case, and many celebrities and musicians have held fundraisers and raised awareness and tried to spread the belief that the, uh, the three men indicted for the crimes are innocent. Well, it worked to an extent. Uh, after new evidence was brought to light years later in 2011, after weeks of negotiations and a bunch of other legal jargon and proceedings and stuff like that, the West Memphis Three were released from prison as part of a plea deal in which defendants plead guilty while still asserting their actual innocence in cases where defendants concede that uh, prosecutors have sufficient evidence to secure a conviction. So it's a it's a whole weird thing. Uh, but eventually they did get out of prison. So a judge would later sentence them to time served a total of 18 years and 78 days. They were incarcerated. They were each given a suspended imposition of sentence for 10 years. So if they reoffend, they can be sent back to prison for 21 years. But this has always been um, kind of an interesting story in the music scene that I follow. Like Pearl Jam is a big proponent for, you know, freeing the West Memphis three bands like the Dixie Chicks and all those others. One of the guys actually involved in this co-wrote a song on Pearl Jam's self-titled album uh, called Army Reserve. So it's actually it's just a really weird, fascinating case 
uh, if you ever have time to just kind of sit down and, and research it. It's really interesting. Wow. And it spawned five fucking movies. Did it get five movies? Five movies, yep. Most recently, a lot of documentaries, I know for sure on that. Uh, Devil's Knot, I believe, was... Uh... That's what I call my butthole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there you go. May 5th, 93, the uh, murders of the boys that would eventually spawn the legend of the West Memphis Three. Now, no particular date on the next story, but uh, May 93 marked the second month in the Midwest in which uh, they continued to experience record flooding in what's referred to as the Great Flood of 93. Flooding occurs along the Mississippi and Missouri rivers and their tributaries until October 1993. So this is a big, like half the year, uh, the Midwest was was flooding or flooded, um, making this among the most costly and devastating floods to ever occur in the United States. And it's kind of happening here again right now as we speak. Uh, but we are not yet to $15 billion in damages as they were then, which equates to about... 26 to 30 billion today. Jeez. All right. Uh, of, affecting nearly 320,000 square miles. Whoa. At least 32 lives were officially lost. So the number is estimated to be closer to 50 in total. Uh, and here's a fun fact driving it home for me right here in Quincy, Illinois. A local 23-year-old miscreant named James Scott was convicted for intentionally causing a catastrophe and sentenced to 10 years to life in prison after a jury found him guilty of tampering with the levy by removing sandbags, causing catastrophic flood-related events, uh, in which a barge actually at one point was sucked through the lock and dam and impacted a gas station in what we call West Quincy, which is just across the river in uh, in Missouri, and causing a massive explosion and fire. So literally the water was on fire. Uh, there's there's actually video of this all around the, the internet if you search for it. But What an asshole. Yeah. This guy will be eligible for parole in four years after also serving an additional consecutive 10-year sentence for burglary. So we're talking this kid had uh, a rap sheet by the time he was even in his 20s. Um, and uh, during the flood, area residents would have to drive as far as 80 miles just to get across the river, whereas it would take me right now, except the, one of the bridges is closed, but it would take me probably 10 minutes to get to the Missouri side from where I live. But Damn. anyway, uh, the guy claimed he did it because he wanted to strand his wife on the other side of the river so he could party longer. All don't right. Know that, don't know if that's ever been confirmed or not, but that is the uh, that is the lore behind He's it. But yeah, still an asshole. Still an asshole. <laughs> still an asshole. <laughs> but there you go. May 93, the second month of uh, the Great Flood of 93 here in the Midwest. All right. All right. A couple uh, ho-hum stories there. Nothing yeah. too oh, funny. You yeah, you wait to the barn burners I have. Oh, I mean, it's just <laughs> not that there weren't bad there weren't bad stories. It was just they're very down note stories. So let's hopefully you could pick it up. That's the news, brother. All right. So for my first news story, we had a uh, a Supreme Court ruling on May fifth, nineteen eighty seven. The Supreme Court ruled that judges and juries deciding whether sexually explicit material is legally obscene, they must assess the social value of the material from the standpoint of a reasonable person rather than applying community standards. Basically what that means. Yeah, break that down. If it's not obscene to people in New York City, it's not obscene to people in Quincy, Illinois. You can't take in the local community standards. It has to be a broad standard of a reasonable person. So that was one of the Supreme oh. Court rulings. The second one that we had was allowing women must be allowed into Rotary Clubs. 
So that's my first news story was a, a double deuce of Supreme Court rulings. Thank God we finally got some competition on Bingo Thursdays. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the first week of May 1987 will always be remembered for one news story. And it happens to be a news story that made it into a movie in 2018 starring Hugh Jackman. The movie is called The Front Runner. It is about Mr. Gary Hart, who, according to Time Magazine, was the front runner for the 1988 presidential election, and he had to be... He, <laughs> he was the front runner for the 1988 presidential election, according to Time Magazine, until he was forced to drop out of the race after the Miami Herald revealed that the married man had been spending nights with another woman, Donna Rice, a 29-year-old model. Hey, mama. It turns out he was drinking Olympia Dukakis's deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> So on the on the May first, the Herald uh, investigative reporter Jim McGee uh, had staked out Hart's townhouse and saw him leaving sh shortly after nine p.m. with a woman. On May third, eighty seven, uh, the story appeared in the in the Herald with photographic evidence of them together. And then on the eighth, uh, Colorado senator had to resign from the race. He made the statement, "I've made some mistakes," he said, "maybe big mistakes, but not bad mistakes." So. It's a horrible story, but it's really poignant today because this was the first time that the media really got involved in a political election when it came to sexual scandals. And it comes to find out this was all fabricated by his political opponent. The story came out 20 years later. <laughs> so it really changed how the media covered politics and it took out a candidate because of it. Wow. That's some shit right there. I mean... Part of the thing is, like, who gives a shit? I mean, if the guy's cheating on his wife, we had a president that was, like, finger-banging chicks in uh, with the a cigar. office. With a cigar. Yeah. Not even with his finger. With a fucking yeah. cigar. He probably smoked it, too. Well, the thing with Gary Hart is a lot of this was a setup. You might remember hearing about the whole monkey business thing. He had gone on a boat cruise with, with a colleague of his, and the boat was called Monkey Business, and there was a girl on board come to find out it was a setup, and they told her to sit on his lap so pictures could get taken. And Wow. But yeah, if you're interested in the story, check out the Hugh Jackman movie that came out in 2018 about it. Really now, good performance it's by him. It's 100% that he was framed. That's not just like your opinion. So. Ah, so that's your opinion. No, <laughs> no, no. I believe that that's the, 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 the story that I've always heard. I've heard it on the news. You look it up, see the movie for yourself. Let me ask you this. Is Gary Hart a Democrat? He was. Oh, so of course Mark's going <laughs> to side with that. So that's... Uh, uh, just glad it wasn't what they, Jimmy let me, Hart. Let me ask you this. In the movie, is he set up? No, in the movie, he was a Republican. No. <laughs> was he set up in the movie? Was was the whole thing a sham in the movie? I haven't seen it Because they don't yet. lie in movies. Out. Oh, all right. I haven't seen it. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. It just came out in 2018. Oh, Didn't you just say it was an incredible performance by him, though? Yeah. It was. You read all the read all the uh, <laughs> the reviews, and his, his performance was, put down the shovel. Yeah, I'm digging deeper, We're done man. here. Oh, it's going deep. All right, so... Let's let's just uh, let's go to the the ruling here. Please do. <laughs> we got. Let me uh, let me try to put them together. So we got this huge. What was it? Uh, like a flood. There was three hundred and twenty three 
affected 320,000 square yeah, miles, miles in the Midwest over the course of like six months. And $20 billion in damage or whatever you said. How much was it? Uh, $15 billion back then. It, it equates to between 26 and $30 billion worth of uh, damage today. That's a major catastrophe. That, and then you paired that up with the West Memphis 3, which is obviously, you know, that has legs. It's been going on forever. Mark, you brought the uh, the Gary Hart thing that did come back to life with the movie, and then your other story was I, I was fucking confused, and then the Rotary Club, um, Supreme Court ruling, man. <laughs> whatever they rule on a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, but this one is important because it's about sexually explicit material. So Playboy magazine, porn. All of that stuff was trying to be outlawed in certain communities around the country. This was a law that helped fight against that so we can have shows like this and say obscene things or if we want to watch Skinamax in Kansas, we can. You just went from, you were talking about sex and then you threw us in there. Well, fish, I mean, he's kind of running through a common well, ground here. Obscenity doesn't always have to be nudity and tits. It could be us saying fucking shit. Yeah, but you yes. did say sex, didn't you? I did say sex, yeah. Sex is a part of the obscenity when it comes to pornography, I would think. All right, okay. Porn without sex is not my favorite. See, I think okay. with that, I th if you had the story about Larry Flint going against it, then I think it would have been larger. The one that... Larger than a Supreme Court ruling. I, well, the thing is, I don't think there, I think there was more. I think there was zero? more to it than just yours. I'm gonna have to go with 93 on this. All right. He's ah. got he's got this huge flood, which is monumental in terms Wild of shit. catastrophe. Like especially in the Midwest, um, I'm sure that like ruined farming and fucking crops for fucking ages. Oh yeah. And then of course the West Memphis three is just a huge story. What's the deal with that? Now, is it proven or like how many people believe that they did it and didn't do it? Like, is it more people believe that they did? I think do it's it? kind of like split decision. I, I think there's, you know, probably like 50 50, like people, some 50% think they did do it. 50% don't. It's just been, there's been a strange amount of like public support for them, you know, as far as like them being innocent or the, or the thought process of them being innocent like i said pearl jam and like the dixie chicks and all these other you know notable artists have been supporting like free the west memphis three and all that stuff for wow. quite a while isn't it weird when bands get involved in things like this like you're a band you play a guitar you sing that would be like us trying to get into a like oh yeah they're they're good man let them go they didn't kill that eight-year-old what do i know <laughs> I've been on the road a lot, and, you know, I've been thinking. <laughs> I've been on the tour bus, and I really had a lot of time <laughs> to put together an investigative uh, journalistic approach to this. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with 93 on this one. So that puts Bo at two, uh, Mark at one. Damn. Going to the two-point rounds, though. So. so this is what it's like to be on the winning side. <laughs> in, the, in the first, in the single-point rounds, it really doesn't matter. Mm. Mm. But you are in the lead, so let's uh, let's move on from there. Where are you going? Oh, my goodness. I think I'm going to head over to television to May 1st of 1993. Coming to an end after two seasons and 78 episodes, it's Goof Troop. <laughs> what? That's what? right. You guys, you said it. It's granular. Not a lot to choose from here. Is this something uh, with Goofy? 
Yeah, Goof Troop. Okay. It's, yeah, uh, it's it pretty much chronicles the, the relationship between single father Goofy and his son Max, which the whole time ah. I was researching this makes me like... Goofy had sex? Makes me think like, yeah, did, did, <laughs> did, did, did he have sex with a human or like a human dog hybrid? Somebody fucked this dog to create this whole series. <laughs> it's just bizarre. But anyway, yeah, the show... They don't show uh, that on, in the show, I guess. Not that I know of. That might be a bonus episode that didn't quite make it to air. <laughs> But uh, the show lived on after its end from the small screen with two film adaptations that were pretty successful, actually, including a goofy movie in 1995 and an extremely goofy movie uh, five years later in the year 2000. So Goof Troop coming to an end May 1st, 93, after two seasons and 78 episodes. That, if anything needs a prequel, that does, because it would explain a lot. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's out there on like uh, Red Tube or something like that. <laughs> yeah, the Goofy movie is pretty damn good. I enjoyed the Goofy movie. I could watch that again. They've got the whole subplot with uh, there's there's like a prince type artist yeah. that is kind of the subplot of the whole movie. It's kind of kind of fun. Pancakes. Yeah, Max was a badass <laughs> character. I, I wish they Disney would have developed Max a lot more. Yeah, he never did reach puberty, did he? No. Maybe we need a sequel with just Max. Shame, shame, shame. Just so people know, like 78 episodes on a cartoon, even though it's only two seasons, that's actually not bad. Pretty good stretch. When you look at like, you know, yeah, I guess even Thundercats and like, they didn't last that long. They just two or three seasons and they just repeated the hell out of it. So Mm -hmm. that's really not that bad. No, not at all. All right. So we're going to bump up a few days here to May 5th, 1993, also marking the end of another very successful show. Five seasons and 97 episodes of Quantum Leap as it reaches its finale. The show debuted March 1989. Really uh, kind of featured a a who's who as far as uh, 80s television is concerned, at least behind the scenes. You got Donald P. Belisario, who thankfully brought us things like Magnum P.I., NCIS, and uh, for all of us uh, early dinner eaters, JAG. Uh, Theme song from the theme song virtuoso Mike Post who also did the Law & Order series theme, NYPD Blue, The Rockford Files, Hill Street Blues, goes on and on and on and on. Uh, and a starring role and narration from none other than America's sweetheart himself, Scott Bakula. The finale, despite otherwise uh, lackluster ratings, was viewed by 13 million American households, which I believe, even by today's standards, is pretty astounding. Did you mention Dean Stockwell in that? I didn't mention Dean oh, Stockwell. Uh, I figured Scott Bakula would be good enough to really <laughs> kind of run the gamut here. Scott Bakula. Bakula. Oh, yeah. I love that show. In 2004 and 2007, the show was voted number 15 and number 19, respectively, on TV Guide's top cult shows ever lists. Uh, The show throughout its run did receive multiple award nominations, including several wins for Emmys and Golden Globes. May 5th, 93, Quantum Leap, after five seasons and 97 episodes, reaches its end. And is syndicated forever. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Good one there. Yeah, Not bad. A solid show. Not bad. That raises your rank this round. Mark, what do you have? I know 87 had to have something. All right, gentlemen. So May 7th, 1987, we're going to watch a little bit of NBC for the Thursday night lineup. And uh, first, we're going to go to the season finale of the fifth season of the popular television show that I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this one. It's called Cheers. The title episode was called I Do Ado, written by Glenn... Close. No. (laughs) Written by Glenn and Les Charles and directed by James Burroughs. 
Of course, it originally aired on May 7th, 1987. The episode would mark the end of the five-year on-and-off romance of Sam Malone and Diane Chambers, as Shelley Long was set to leave the show at the end of the season to put out great cinematic classics such as Hello Again and True Beverly Hills. And Money Pit. Well, that was before. That was before she left. Oh, well, uh, yeah. She got the inclination that she could do it. Yeah. <laughs> In the episode, we finally see Diane giving in to Sam's constant proposals. However, at the ceremony, Diane receives a phone call at the bar saying that the publishers want to put out her unfinished book. She ends up leaving Sam at the altar, and at the end, uh, Sam says to her, you know, have a good life. She gets all upset. Well, don't say that. I'm going to be gone for a few months, and I'll be back. It's no big deal. As she walks up the stairs, lights go down in the bar. Sam says under his breath, have a good life. And uh, Shelley Long was exited the show. And I mean, she eventually came back for the series finale and stuff like that. But so that was our first show. Our second show airing the very same night, May 7th, 87, the 25th episode of the third season of The Cosby Show. And that marked a landmark episode. It would give us just a taste of what was to come the following September with the debut of a show called A Different World. So we got an episode entitled Hillman as the Cosby family traveled to visit Denise as she first arrives at college. Uh, Denise's dorm room and roommate are a little bit different than they were in the in the uh, spinoff show, A Different World. But that's when we first got a taste of that. It was in May. Now, A Different World didn't come out until September. So this is quite a ways before uh, with the show Hillman. So let's not focus on the Cosby part of that. This is all about Denise. Uh, even if it was, I mean, you really, we talked about this last right. episode, a couple episodes ago. You really can't discount the show for what it was. So I'm not, no. I wouldn't do that. All right. Looking at Bo's picks, uh, the goof troop, I'm not going to, I can't, it does it just doesn't hold water. So I, that's going to make you lose the round because if <sighs> I go, it's two to one. Fucking I love, I love quantum leap. But I think he's just got such pivotal moments in both shows. If he would have just said that it was a season finale of Cheers season five and they didn't do anything special, I probably would have given it to you. But the fact that Diane left there was yeah. such a big turnaround, new character coming in as a new, like, you know, it's just, it's a big deal. And then the Cosby thing, you know, you spin off to a different world and that lasts for like five seasons and had a pretty good run of its own. So that's uh, pretty monumental. So I'm going to have to go with 87 on this one. Mm. Mm. Just like that, it slips out of my fingers. <laughs> Both like, <laughs> I've been here before. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. <laughs> Taking a break from all your worries, yeah, sure would help a lot. <laughs> all right, so that brings us to sports, which is a category we've really never done on this show. <laughs> So uh, because we're going so granular with uh, the week experience here, just doing one week, we're swapping out hot products with sports. Right. And the only reason we did that is it's really hard to find a product yeah. that came out in that week. So we didn't want you to have like, you know, some weird product. That, well, it actually worked against us a little bit because instead of getting a weird product, we got weird ass news and fucking Deacon Blue. <laughs> <laughs> so. it sure did 
All right, so we'll start off with sports, and we'll start off with the 1987 Kentucky Derby. It was the 113th running of the Kentucky Derby. It took place on May 2nd, 1987. Chris McCarron aboard Ali Sheba wins in two minutes and three seconds. Uh, Ali Sheba was far from the favorite uh, at the race with only eight to one odds. The odds favorite, Demons Be Gone, came in dead last as he pulled up lame during the race but was able to walk into the ambulance under his own power. In the derby, Ali Sheba and his jockey Chris McCarron were nearly knocked to the ground during the race by a horse named Bet Twice. Ali Sheba did recover from the collision and won the derby. Then he came back to win again at the Preakness Stakes when he attempted to become Americans Racing's 12th Triple Crown winner. And then at the Belmont, Ali Sheba raced without a special medication that the horse normally took to clear up some blockage he had in his throats, which was against New York Racings. And of course, he lost that race. And who did he lose to? Bet twice, who won by 14 links, the same horse that almost took him out in the Kentucky Derby. So, I actually remember that. It was a, I you can go that. and watch the race on YouTube. It is amazing. I try to watch the Kentucky Derby every year. <laughs> There's nothing amazing about horse racing at all. It <laughs> is because Ali Sheba in this race comes back on that last quarter mile. He was in 12th place, and that last quarter mile just comes up all the way, even though, and then he almost gets tripped up. It's just, uh, you know, horse racing, you're just, uh, you're just glued to it. I, yeah. I'm only glued to the uh, the horse in hot to trot that came back from behind to win. All right, guys. Well, let's get to something a little more interesting. <laughs> May 2nd, 1987, we're going to the Cow Palace, San Francisco, California, for Super Clash 2. I thought you were going to say the- Super Cross. super clash two from the awa the american wrestling association this was a stacked card in front of 2800 people crazy at the cow palace which holds 16,000 people you can watch this event on the wwe network right now i checked it out earlier empty seats everywhere (laughs) sounds like the last nxt live show i went to why like all right give me give us the lineup all right so the lineup it opens up with uh you guys remember general adnan mm-hmm. okay this was back before when he was chic adnan uh he went against uh buck Zumphole. never heard of him sounds like a shitty gi joe ripoff character yeah dj pearson wrestled super ninja if you haven't seen the super ninja match you got to check it out because it's on the WWE Network. And if you look on Super Ninja's hands, he's got swastikas on the back of both of his oh, fists. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> were, Maybe they're just they just throwing mean to be stars. Swastikas, or were they? Yeah, did they think they were no, throwing stars? I don't know, but they are blatantly swastikas. They are big white blocky swastikas, <laughs> and it's creepy. Is this all over the internet, or is it, this is something that Mark James came up with when he watched it on the WWE Network? <laughs> this is something I came up with about 5.30 tonight when I was watching it on the network, and I'm like, what the fuck? Does that ninja have swastikas on his hands? <laughs> How much did you partake at 5.30 when you watched it? Nothing at 5.30. Jeez, you're an hour and ten minutes late. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that they weren't swastikas. I don't know about that. Come on! I'm man. googling this right now because yeah. curiosity. <laughs> that would be the all over the here. internet. Is, is it all over the internet? If not, then I go can't to the WWE it. Network right now. Go to AWA eighty-seven May second. It's the second match in Super Ninja. You can't miss it. He's got daggers on his forearms, swastikas on his fists. 
That's probably my favorite Motley Crue album, to be honest. <laughs> okay, I, I, I agree with Mark. I'm looking at a picture right now. Yeah, I, I was just about to send it to the uh, the group chat. They, those are definitely swastikas. Maybe this is like an educational thing. Like he didn't know what the hell he was putting on and thought it was a symbol for a Chinese star. But that's okay. definitely a swastika. Okay, the the gentleman who played the character of Super Ninja was uh, Shinsei Tanako, who is a Japanese wrestler. So the Japanese had no clue what swastikas were? Yeah, not buying that. I just found a tweet from uh, Lance Storm from 2016. That's where I found the picture. And he wrote, not sure why the Super Ninja is a Nazi, AWA Super Clash 2. Thank you. See? Mark James, not fucking crazy. So, oh, wait, oh, oh, hold on. Here's no clarification from Samoa Joe. From Samoa Joe, it says it's actually a Buddhist symbol. He worked a small town in Japan, and you found them everywhere. Interesting. Yes, that technically, that is true. But this is 1987. People should have fucking known better. That's oh, just weird. He did follow up again <laughs> and said, that being said... Super Ninja isn't Japanese, so that's a pretty boneheaded move. <laughs> All right, so go on with your second story. Good stuff there. All right. All right, so Sherry Martell uh, defeated Medusa, but the big match on here was Kurt Henning defeated Nick Bockwinkle to win the AWA World Heavyweight Championship. His first heavyweight championship title run, he held it for over a year and then finally dropped it and then left to go up north to New York to the WWF. Um, we all saw the Midnight Rockers, Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels and Reese Stevens in a six-man tag match defeat Buddy Wolf, Doug Subbers, and Kevin Kelly. And then Jimmy Snuka and Russ Francis, yes, the NFL's Russ Francis from the New England Patriots, defeated the terrorist, better known as uh, Super Ninja, Brian Nobbs, and the Mercenary, which is Ron Fuller. I could see why that card only had 2,000 people. <laughs> but you got Shawn Michaels on it, Kurt Henning, Nick Bockwinkel, Sherry Martell, Jimmy Snuka, General Adnan, and a dude with fucking swastikas on his hands. I would say those are all mid-card guys. At that time. At that point, yeah. yeah at that time. Yeah, at that point. Wow, that was AWA. Well, that's so. why I'm saying it's. It, I could see why there was 2,000 people there. But it really kind of marked a turning point in AWA because Nick <laughs> Bockwinkle, I mean, he was a champ for a long time. And then with Henning having that title for a year, it was kind of like the, the new guard coming in. And then he and left. kind of every promotion had done this at the time. And this was uh, when AWA did it, kind of give the young kids a push for a while. It's actually, it's weird. Did Vince have like some kind of territory deal with them? Because a lot of those guys were in the WWF at the time. Yeah. And he yeah, said, Henning was in the WWF and then left to go back to the AWA. I think it was a little he, more loose back then. It wasn't quite, you know, you're my sole property and you can't go here, 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 do this and that. And it's kind of getting a little bit like, uh, like I saw Adam Cole at a uh, Harley Race Wrestling Academy show earlier this year. So I mean, it oh, might nice. be kind of loosening the reins a little bit okay all right good stuff so you had uh was that starcade 2 no super, super clash, clash. i wish it was starcade 2 <laughs> super clash hog wild what was your first story again sea biscuit yeah yeah, yeah yeah it was the the kentucky derby kentucky derby with ali ali sheba yeah ali sheedy the yeah riding ali sheedy across the <laughs> finish line in kentucky derby 
All right, Bo. Let's see. This this is it. Whoever wins this round wins everything. So let's see what All you right. got. Well, gentlemen, we head back to the Bluegrass State, May 1st, 1993, the 119th Kentucky Derby. Jockey Jerry Bailey crosses the finish line aboard Sea Hero, which will become the first of two victories for Bailey in his Kentucky Derby career, the next following atop Grindstone in 1996. Uh, other equestrian participants in this prestigious event included Personal Hope, Kiss and Chris, Ragtime Rebel, Dixieland Heat, Rockamundo, and Toss of the Coin, who are all uh, also coincidentally my favorite NXT call-ups. Actually, <laughs> let's do this, because there's no way I could decide between the two of those. Bo just read me his names. They're pretty damn original. Mark, do you have the names from yours, if you need a minute to pull them Some up? Some of your fellow participants? I do. All right, go we for it. We have Ali Sheba, Bet Twice, <laughs> Bet Midler, Av's <laughs> Copy, Crypto Clarence, Temper Hill, Gulch, Leo Castelli, Candy's Gold, Conquista Rose, On the Line, No More Flowers, Capote, and Demons Be Gone. All right, Who one more, names these things? One, one more time with Bose. I just want them side by side. This isn't all of them, but uh, the ones that I found the most interesting. Uh, Personal Hope, Kissin' Chris, Ragtime Rebel, Dixieland Heat, Rockamundo, and uh, Toss of the Coin, among others. Okay, I got them in here. Now, Bo, your horse, of course, won the Kentucky Derby. What was the time in your race that your horse won? Oh, the fuck if I know. I was kind of scrambling at this point. There wasn't much going on in sports in the first week of May 93. You could just just Google it real quick. You can like just put in time. Uh, let's it'll see. You. I see where Mark's going with this. Help if I can spell. Typing in Kentucky Debbie. I'm probably going to get a He's trying to pull out all the on. stops here because he probably has it in front of him already. All right. So he's setting you up. Oh, I don't know his time. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Let's see. I know my time. All right. Jerry Bailey and Sea Hero crossing the finish line, getting first place in the 119th Kentucky Derby uh, with a time of two minutes and two seconds. Oh, oh. oh see, Ali Sheba at 203.4. Oh, it oh. fucking backfired on it. Because <laughs> I was going to give you the names. Now that you brought that up, that actually makes more sense. Yeah, All you got to right. go with the race time. It's only fair. All right. Okay. All right. So let's see what the second story is. Uh, the second sports I've got, May 8th, 93, Lennox Lewis faces Tony Tucker in what was billed as Star Spangled Glory, boxing event for the WBC Heavyweight Championship held at the Thomas and Mack Center in Paradise, Nevada. Contest went a full 12 rounds with Lewis defeating Tucker by a unanimous decision. Let me ask you, was the title vacated at this point? Was this the first time that Lennox from what Lewis I understand, Lennox Lewis was the number one contender for the title. Okay. So then he kept it for how long after that? Uh, I don't remember how long he kept it. Forever. He had it for a bit. Yeah, he had it for quite a while. He was amazing for a while. As soon as he started growing his hair out, you notice that? The longer his hair got, the longer he kept the gold. He was scary when he had dreads. Oh, he was freaky. Maybe that's what it was. It was the intimidation factor. <laughs> All those guys are massive, though. What the hell is it? Yeah, uh, WBC heavyweight champion. Okay, so right here, I'm looking at uh, 5-8-1993. He lost that to Oliver McCall in 94. So he had it for a couple years. And actually, the guy's only lost twice in his entire career. That actually makes two of us. We got some common ground here. 
<laughs> Me and old Lennox Lewis. All right, I'm. This is actually pretty easy. I don't know why I made you pull all that up. Uh, if I'm going, if I'm giving you the horse, you're ready up one, <laughs> and then I'm gonna say that this is more monumental and more memorable than super. What was it called again? Super Clash Two. I'm gonna have to go with 1993 on this one. Oh, oh man, what, what are the odds? Oh Bo doesn't God. even know how to how to react. Well, it's what? been good. I'll see you guys later, I guess. <laughs> what do I do now? Now, if Mark would have just sung the damn chorus to the Cure I don't song. know the song. <laughs> I cannot listen to a Cure album. I don't think I could handle it. They got, they got a couple good tracks. A couple of good tracks. I couldn't listen to a whole album. Yeah, it's a little down. Yeah, Jesus Christ, I'm on enough antidepressants as it is. <laughs> I wouldn't listen to that with your light off. All right, oh so there it God. is. Bo Beecraft with his first ever I, singles victory. I, I, yes. <laughs> He's speechless, folks. I, what? And I dropped to a record of one and two here in the singles division on <laughs> Dueling Decades. Oh, so you both tied. <laughs> Yeah, both of one. I just, uh, I, I guess, uh, I want to thank the academy, uh, thank the <laughs> listeners, uh, my family. All right, uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's an honor. Act like you've been there before, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> Play me off, Mark. <laughs> All right. So for the next matchup, duelers, we're gonna have the Mama Luke's back in action. That's me and Nick Mancrush. We're going to be going up against the team of the after school special. Of course, that's Mike and Bo with some tag team action. John Cross is coming back to lay the smack down as the judge. So stay tuned for that episode. That's going to be on our next Dueling Decades episode. More exciting news. Pay attention to some of the upcoming in our past episodes because we're going to be having a trivia night. And uh, if you know the answers to the questions, you can win some great prizes. All right, so if you've missed any of the episodes, you can always go back on DuelingDecades.com where you can hear all the past episodes. That way, when we do our trivia night coming up, you can compete. All right. All right, so until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. We'll see you next time. Infirmary Media. This is the year we make morning sizzle, not fizzle. Let's do McDonald's. Let's start biscuit buttering and sausage sizzling. Let's do eggs and all our favorites. Let's get brewing and premium roast sipping. Let's make a resolution to wake up breakfast. Right now, get a sausage biscuit with egg for just $2 and any size McCafe premium roast coffee for a buck. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. This is the year we make morning sizzle, not fizzle. Let's do McDonald's. Let's start biscuit buttering and sausage sizzling. Let's do eggs and all our favorites. Let's get brewing and premium roast sipping. Let's make a resolution to wake up breakfast. Right now, get a sausage biscuit with egg for just $2 and any size McCafe premium roast coffee for a buck. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.